I'm Paul Weegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts and your host for today. In the studio with me is an individual who works as an author, editor, and writing instructor. As an author, she writes fiction, creative nonfiction, personal essays, and memoir. She's working on a novel. Her writing has appeared in literary, juvenile, and regional publications, both in print and online, with many review, many with review in the title. She also shares her work through literary readings and open mics. I'm taking that directly from the website of our author and master's fellow, Ramona DeFelice Long. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you with us, Ramona, a very active writer in the Delaware community for quite some time and a recipient of many awards for writing, not only here in Delaware, but elsewhere. Uh, it's so great to have you here. Uh, let's, uh, let's start, for our listeners, um, hearing from you a little bit about your evolution as a writer, where you, how you got started, sort of how you've evolved over time, and what brings you to where you are today. That's a very good question. My evolution would begin, of course, with my family. I'm from Louisiana, and I come from a long line of oral storytellers, Cajuns, Acadians, Louisiana French. I grew up in a bilingual household. My parents spoke French to each other and English to us, and most of our family stories were carried on orally. At some point in my life, I decided it was time to start writing these down, so I started writing with family stories and then eventually evolved into making things up. I started out as a short fiction writer and received some assistance from the DDOA and the Pennsylvania State Council on the Arts for writing short fiction. I wrote some, I evolved into writing creative nonfiction and memoir, even a little prose poetry. I like to keep expanding. For this fellowship, uh, my writing sample was for a novel, which was a huge change for me, and I didn't plan on writing a novel. I had an idea for a short story, and the idea kept getting more and more complicated and more people showing up in my writing. So at some point I decided, hey, I think I'm writing a novel, and that's just what happened. Sometimes stories have a particular size, and this particular story has a really big size. Could, could you speak a little bit about, I know you do on your website, could you speak a little bit about your writing process? What does that look like on a daily basis over the span of a week, a month, a year? Okay. I, um, my writing process is very stringent. I write for at least one hour every single morning at 7 a.m. I didn't always do this. For a long time, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I wrote when the kids were sleeping and so on in snatches, but I always managed to write a little bit every day. Then when I began editing and my children were grown up and out of the house, I thought I would have all this time to write. Well, the more you do, the more you do, and I found that the more I edited, the less time I had to write. So I began to really manage my time. Now I have a writing hour. I log into Facebook with some writing compadres just before 7 every morning, and we write without stopping, without interruption, for one hour. Sometimes I do this five times a day, and sometimes I do this once a day. But I get that hour in every morning. In, in your writing process, uh, do you... You mentioned you just write without stopping. So the editing comes later if, if you're working on something that you intend to 
you know, present or publish? Right. It really depends on where you are in the writing. I say I write without stopping. That means I turn off the phone, I turn off email, I turn off Facebook and so on. Sometimes I'm writing new words. Sometimes I'm editing, revising, and so on. So it's just an hour of concentrated writing. It's not necessarily writing without stopping. It's working on writing without interruption, I guess would be a better way of putting it. And then do you go back to that writing to see what it is you want to develop further, to polish, to ultimately, say, publish or or share? Right. I do. um, For a long time, I belonged to a critique group. I'm not in one right now, but my process also involves planning. About five minutes before I actually start my writing hour, I have a journal and I write exactly what I plan to write for the next hour. It might be complete the dinner scene or open new chapter. And for three days, it might be complete the dinner scene until I complete the dinner scene. <laughs> so, but um, after I get a draft of whatever the story is, then I start going back to revise. You don't finish something at 8 o'clock in the morning and submit it at 5 in the evening. Mm-hmm. There is the revision process. Now, I, I'm assuming that writing in, in some respect is a very solitary activity. But I know that for you it is also very important to be connecting with other writers. Could you speak about that? The writing process is a solitary activity, but also the value in you know meeting with other writers? Right. I'm happy to because while writing is solitary and you do have to sit in the chair and do it yourself, publishing and writing is very much of a community. Um, at the DDOA writing retreat in Cape and Lopen, we called it our tribe. We have our little tribe, and we're very close. I have these people on Facebook, some of whom I've never met. Some are in Pennsylvania, some are in Maine, some are in California, but we're there at the same time. I also like writing in person. I'm happy to go to a coffee shop from time to time during NaNoWriMo, the National Novel Writing Month. I will set up a couple of hours at one of the libraries, the Kirkwood Library or wherever, and we have sort of a group writing time where everyone shows up and silently writes together. Mm-hmm. So it is solitary, and if you like people and you want to get your work out and share, then you have to put yourself out there a little bit too. Now, do you have any regular, regularly scheduled times when you meet with other writers? or There are... I participate in the Writers' Breakfast, which is a Newcastle County, very informal group of writers who meet at Panera's on Kirkwood Highway the first Saturday of the month. I also participate in the the open mics at the Newark Arts Alliance, which is the first Tuesday of the month, really testing my memory here of when things happened. And then there's Second Saturday Poets, which is a second Saturday. So I sort of travel from place to place. So in terms of writing, I mean, clearly you have a wide range of, of genre that mm-hmm. you have you have worked, worked yes. in. Um, let, let me ask you this. I, you've not always been in Delaware, so you have other contexts to compare Delaware to. How would you characterize the Delaware writing community? Well, the Delaware writing community is very small and very close, And there are a lot of poets. I joke that when I first moved to Delaware, I used to go to the grocery store and I would see the poet laureate. Um, 
And then the poet laureate changed, but my grocery store didn't change, and I'd see the next poet laureate. <laughs> so we all sort of know one another. Um, Delaware is – maybe it's the smallness. Maybe it's because there's a strong sense of community. But I know writing people, but I also know them because our children are in school together or we belong to the same pool or other various civic activities. So it's very easy, I think, to get involved in the writing community in Delaware. We're very supportive. I go to poetry events even though I don't write poetry. I might go to haiku night, which is coming up, and I can't write a haiku to save my life. But I find we really support our tribe. Mm -hmm. I I want to come back to something you mentioned very early on. Uh, You talked about uh, French being a language in the home. I'm just curious. How does the knowledge of a second language, does the knowledge of a mm-hmm. second language kind of inform your writing in any way or your facility with language? Well, it helps a great deal if you're writing about Louisiana because I can use the coll- colloquial terms and know that I'm writing with authenticity. I might write a phrase that my grandmother used that you will never find in a French dictionary, but I know it's there because I heard it my whole life. I think of language, I think of it from my English perspective. I only speak English, but there are particular ways which language changes all of the time. The French in Louisiana is not the same as the French in Paris. And so I think a lot about that regional language, where you are, whether it's Louisiana or just spots in Delaware. You can say something above the canal, below the canal. Everybody in Delaware knows what that means. In Louisiana, you say up the bayou and down the bayou, and it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So Thank it's you. different expressions for the same idea. Great. I, I, so much I want to pursue about your work as a writer, but let me first remind our listeners you are tuned into 1450 WILM News Radio and 1410 WDOV. Our guest in the studio today is author, editor, and writing instructor Ramona DeFelice Long, a recent, uh, actually a 2016 recipient of a Master's Fellowship in Fiction from the Delaware Division of the Arts. Ramona, it's it's so great having you here. Could you speak a little bit about, uh, uh, I've been asking about the writing process. Could you speak about your career as a writer and some of the sort of the milestones you've seen that have have contributed to your your growth and success as a writer? Well, when I wrote my bio that you read, I mentioned that a lot of the places where I have been published have the word review in them. And I pursued literary magazines because I felt comfortable writing in that genre. That's where I started out. Since then, I have my career has taken a couple of twists and turns. I wrote as long as I could. I wrote about motherhood when I had children. I was a mother of twins. I did some work for Twins Magazine at the time. But there came a time when it was time for me to return to the workforce, and I wanted to have an arts-based business. And at that time, publishing was in a little bit of a flux, and independent editors were becoming a thing. So I had experience in mysteries. I knew about writing mysteries. I'd done a couple of projects. So I decided that I was going to pursue being a professional editor. I took classes. I joined the right organizations and so on. And it had a lot to do with turning 50 and being a woman and wanting to be independently employed and making those business decisions. And it took a lot of persistence and thinking 
new ways of thinking about publishing, not just writing. So I became a business person, not just a writing person. And I think it's worked well for me. I have found that I like the nurturing aspect of working with new writers. I teach, I edit, and I share my own writing. Now, as as an instructor, um, (laughs) is there a particular philosophy that you follow or a a style of teaching instruction. I know as a former teacher myself, you know, a history teacher, you know, looking at essays and working with students on essays, there's there's always that challenge of of guiding without rewriting for them. Do you have a kind of philosophy or an approach to working with other writers? Yes. On my website, I state very clearly that it's your name on a story, not mine. So I may help you shape a story or make it stronger, but in the end, it's your decisions as, a, as an author that will appear on the page. As a teacher and as an editor, I believe in, strongly in show, not tell. This is just a very cliched writing term. But what that means is if I'm editing a manuscript and something's not working, I can't just say, this is not working, fix it. If you knew how to fix it, you'd have done that to begin with. So I write, this is not working, this is why, think about this, think about this, think about this. So you offer suggestions. I don't change people's words, I don't change people's writings, I don't try to mold it into what I think the story should be. You really have to respect an author and their vision of the story. Sometimes that vision just needs some clarity. Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, Let's uh, move into some of the current projects you're working on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Events coming up, uh, activities? Well, number one is my DDOA DDOA reading with Maggie Rowe, who is a 2016 fellowship winner in poetry as an established artist. Maggie and I will be reading at the Judge Morris Estate on April 3rd. It's a Sunday. She'll share poetry, and I will share some work from my novel in progress. Um, More exciting, though, is the Delaware Literary Reading Series 2016, which is a series of readings, four readings coming up throughout the year. The purpose is to promote the anthology Currents, which is a selection of poetry and prose which was published after the 2014 Cape Henlopen Retreat, which the DDOA sponsored. When we had the book published, we wanted to publicize it and promote the work of the authors, but we wanted to look for different venues. I had done a reading at the John Dickinson Plantation several years ago, and they have a lovely presentation room, and they did a tour and an activity, and the site director there, Gloria Henry, was really encouraging about seeking out other sites in Delaware. So we'll be doing readings at the Zwanendale Museum, the Newcastle Courthouse Museum, the John Dickinson Plantation, and the New York Arts Alliance to combine the literary artist but in historical sites throughout the state. Now, you've written both fiction and nonfiction, is that correct? That's correct. What are the, what are the considerations that go into those two different genres, or how does the approach differ, or doesn't it? Well, most of the nonfiction I've written is creative nonfiction. So that combines... The tool, well, the tools that you use to research nonfiction, but also the craft and the artistry of fiction. So most of the creative nonfiction that I do, for instance, I did a piece that was published in the Delmarva Review, and it was about a hurricane that I survived when I was a small child. 
well, I wrote my experiences the way I remembered it, but I also wanted to include something about why people stay in places where it's dangerous. So I included some historical information about Cajuns, my particular ancestry, and the hurricanes, how much damage they did, and why it is so difficult both emotionally, psychologically, financially, for people to leave, just pick up and leave a place just because there's a hurricane or a tornado or an earthquake and so on. When you're, when you're working with uh, your students or in workshop <laughs> settings, uh, you've worked both with adults and with children, is that correct? That's correct. Is there a different approach to how you handle younger writers that – might be a, a feel a little more vulnerable, or or do adults feel just as vulnerable? I mean, any kind of art form, you're really putting yourself out there. Right. I'm not sure that young people are quite as vulnerable as people think. <laughs> so, and maybe it's just that the workshops I've been in, we've offered a comfortable setting, mm-hmm. but young people are really want to be heard, and when they have an opportunity to be heard, I think they grab it. Now, of course, there are shy children and there are shy adults. But when my children were at New York High School, the librarian there, Donna Reed, and I did a lunchtime book group. And the students there read a book once a month, and we went in and had reviews. And those reviews were brutal. They said what they had to say, and they didn't hold back. And it was really a fantastic learning experience for me as a writer. So I think young people have strong opinions, and they really want to share their ideas and their work. And as soon as they are in a comfortable, conducive setting, they just let fly. So there's no holding back. But with adults, with children, there's a diplomatic approach to criticism. You know, people have feelings. I have feelings. I have been rejected. I have had my work just reamed over so I know what it's like. And so to to remember that diplomacy, remember that there's a human being behind the words is always really helpful. Are there particular writers who have sort of been an inspiration to you in, in your work? Well, I'm a huge fan of Margaret Atwood's, of course, because I think she is just a genius and a terrific artist. But I'm also a big fan of Nancy Mitford, who's a less-known English writer, because she takes serious subjects and handles them with humor. And she she's a real person, and she has a really crazy family, and I have a really crazy family, so I bond to her in that way. I like to read women writers who try different things. I took a class two years ago with the author Eleanor Lipman. The class was called Make It Better, and it really was about – The class focused on the idea of your story, focusing on what you want to say, and then making sure that every scene addressed that, that you kept saying the thing you wanted to say and didn't meander. So she affected me a lot in learning how to really focus my scene work. Now, with with your range of of genre, is there a particular uh, genre that you are more comfortable with, you feel more prolific with, it comes easier? I think if if you woke me up in the middle of the night and said, what kind of writer are you, and didn't give me a chance to think, I would say, I write short stories. So I think that's my comfort zone, as I feel comfortable writing short stories. Now, we've, uh, there's that, the phrase, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, something about the voice of the author. Right. Could you speak to that? What, what does that mean? Well, my, I'm just giving my opinion here, so... 
I think authors have particular voices and styles, and it may be a reflection of your personality. I like to write about serious subjects, but I like to include humor. So many of my stories have little quirky parts, but they can be quite sad. I, my favorite type of reading are often tragedies, but I don't, I'm not a tragic person. I don't walk around in a bad mood. So for me, my, my particular voice would be serious topics, but it, done in a humorous, quirky way. If you read an author over and over, you will discover that even if they change books and subjects, there's always sort of a style in there, something they do, little quirks, little little ways they write that are their best ways, their best presentation. And once you know what you do well, I think you keep doing it. We, we have about a minute left. I would love to hear your thoughts on the, the value of engaging our young people, students, in the process of creative writing. Where, where does that fit into the, the educational realm? Well, it should fit in everywhere because when you graduate from high school, no matter what job you have, you will have to communicate with other people, whether it's asking them, you know, what happened, that you have to describe something for a police report if you're working for the police department or if you are trying to teach or if you anything you do, you have to effectively be able to communicate. So I can't imagine graduating from high school and not being literate in that you can't express your ideas. And as I said before, young people want to be heard, and I think they just need some ears out there to listen to them. Well, Ramona, we're, we're running out of time here. I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Our guest has been Ramona DeFelice Long, the 20, uh, 2016 Master's Fellow in Fiction with the, from the Delaware Division of the Arts, uh, local author, editor, and writing instructor. It's been great to hear from you today. And I understand you have a website, RamonaDef.com. Is that's that correct? That's correct. So people can find out more about you and some of the activities you're engaged in, some of these writing groups that you meet with periodically uh, in a very vibrant literary community here in Delaware. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me.